In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good morning. What a blessing it is to be here on this Anglican Heritage Sunday. When Father Noah first invited me to preach some six months ago, I was excited to learn that Christ in St. Luke's had an annual tradition of honoring its Anglican or English heritage. Now, such a tradition makes sense, of course, because the Episcopal Church is an 18th century offshoot from the Church of England. It also makes sense because the Episcopal Church is a member of the Global Anglican Communion, which is headquartered in London. Now, some of you might be looking at me and thinking, he doesn't look very Anglican or English. Why is he preaching today? Well, looks can be deceiving. First, I was born in Hong Kong which was a British colony from 1842 until 1997. Although I immigrated with my family to the United States at a young age and eventually became a US citizen, I actually entered this world as a British subject. Second, I recently served as the theologian in residence at St. Thomas Church Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. Now, for those of you who don't know, St. Thomas is a bastion of Anglican heritage in New York City. Its rector is from England, and the parish is fond of hosting events like its recent special evensong in Thanksgiving for the coronation of King Charles III. I certainly learned a lot about Anglicanism during my time at St. Thomas. And third, I teach Anglican studies as a theology professor at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. So I do have a few things to say about our shared Anglican tradition. Now, what comes to mind when you hear the word Anglican? I don't know about you, but I think of things like the royal family, afternoon tea at Harrods, choral evensong at Westminster Abbey, and of course, the recent coronation of King Charles III and Queen Camilla. I wouldn't be surprised if you came up with some of the same things. But as a professor of theology, I'd also like to suggest that an important dimension of our Anglican heritage is theological in nature. That is, a key aspect of Anglicanism is the role that reason, reason plays in theological reflection. Now, what do I mean by reason? Well, one of the things that I've always loved about being Episcopalian is that I don't have to check my brain at the door. <laughs> I've always felt comfortable asking questions, perhaps even challenging my faith. And I've always felt that the church respected scholarship and the life of the mind. I experienced this firsthand yesterday when I spent over six hours on retreat right here with around 50 members of the parish and its friends. And I was so impressed with the curiosity and intellectual excitement of those who wanted to discuss the intersections of Christianity 
and the LGBTQ plus experience, something that has created a lot of tension in the diverse body that is the Anglican communion. But I was equally impressed with the deep faith of those who were present yesterday. I was particularly struck by this in light of today's scriptural readings, which all relate in some way to the question of faith. In our first reading from the book of Genesis, we hear about Abraham, called Abram then, who was called by God at the age of 75 to leave his homeland and to build a completely new life in another land. Now, can you imagine uprooting your life like that at the age of 75? I'm not even 55, and that sounds terrifying to me. But Abraham trusted in God as a matter of faith. And it was because of this faith that we have the three Abrahamic traditions today of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. We also hear about faith in our epistle reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. This passage is actually a commentary on Abraham's faith, so it goes really well with our first reading. It's a commentary on that, and how he inherited the world, not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. According to St. Paul, Abraham grew strong in his faith, and he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And we, too, are called to this kind of faith with respect to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Finally, we hear about faith in our reading from the Gospel according to St. Luke. First, we hear about St. Matthew, who left his job as a tax collector on the basis of his faith in Jesus. Did you catch that? That was a really short passage in the Gospel, right? Jesus calls out to him, follow me, and what does he do? He just gets up and follows him. That's exactly what he did. And then we also hear about a woman who had been suffering for hemorrhages for 12 years and who touched the fringe of Jesus' cloak in the hopes of being healed. And she was, in fact, healed. And Jesus said to her, take heart, daughter, your faith, your faith has made you well. It's no surprise, therefore, that faith is the starting point in our lives as Christians. And this is the key insight of the great theologians through the centuries, such as St. Augustine of Hippo, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Karl Barth. But while faith may be the starting point, it should not be the last word. The traditional definition of theology is Fides querens intellectum. Fides querens intellectum. It sounds fancy, but it's just basically the Latin for faith-seeking reason. In other words, theology begins with faith, or fides, but it doesn't end there. Theology is always seeking, that's the querens, a deeper understanding through reason. Reason, and that's the intellectum. So put somewhat differently, we do not study theology in order to believe, right? And I just want to repeat that because this is an important thing. We don't study theology in order to believe. So you might be like, oh, I should study theology because I want to believe. No, it's the other way around. We study theology because we already believe, right? Faith is the starting point for theological reflection. And because we have faith, 
we want to learn more about the content of that faith. And it is through reason that we are able to do this, the intellectum. In other words, we are called to love God not only with our hearts and our souls, but also with our minds. And that, to me, is a very special part of our Anglican heritage. So let's return to the question of our Anglican theological heritage. As you may know, each of the major Christian traditions has a great theologian, right? So the Lutherans have, any guesses? <laughs> Martin Luther, right? Very good. Smart group here. <laughs> the Presbyterians, who, the, who do the Presbyterians have? John Calvin, right? All right. Um, and the Roman Catholics, they have Thomas Aquinas. Now, who do the Anglicans have? <laughs> the Anglicans have Richard Hooker. Okay, Richard Hooker. How many of you know about Richard Hooker? Hands? Okay, not a whole lot, sort of like the eight o'clock, you know, but anyway. Um, so Richard Hooker, you should know the name because Richard Hooker was a priest and a theologian during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. Not Queen Elizabeth II, but Queen Elizabeth I. And the goal of Hooker's 16th century theological masterpiece, it's a mouthful, it's called Of the Laws of Ecclesiastical Polity. Um, the goals of Hooker's theological masterpiece was to defend the Anglican liturgical and ecclesiastical tradition from attacks by the Puritans. Okay, I mentioned Puritans, and chances are you're thinking of Thanksgiving right now, but that's not the point, um, because you know, the Puritans, think of them back then as sort of right-wing, radical, modern-day fundamentalists, right? The Puritans had argued that what Anglicans did in church, for example, using the Book of Common Prayer, or having the office of a bishop, the Puritans were arguing that this was unbiblical, and therefore it was forbidden. And so Richard Hooker used the concept of reason to counter the Puritans' argument. So do you see what I'm saying? You know, Hooker was trying to defend the Anglican tradition against the arguments of the Puritans who were saying, look, what you do in church is not biblical. And Hooker believed that we have to use our God-given reason and our God-given minds to interpret the Bible. So just because something is in the Bible doesn't mean that it's required for all time. Take, for example, the Levitical laws on animal sacrifice in the temple. Right? Just because the ancient Israelites followed those laws didn't mean that they were binding on 16th century Anglicans or 21st century Anglicans. And just because something is not in the Bible doesn't mean that it's forbidden. I don't know if you knew this, but the Puritans said that you know, taking the seasons or feasts such as Advent or Lent, they're saying you shouldn't have Advent or you shouldn't have Lent or liturgical colors for that matter. But just because they aren't mentioned in the Bible doesn't mean that we shouldn't celebrate them. Now, Dr. Catherine Tanner, who's a professor at Yale Divinity School and an Episcopalian, has written a thought-provoking essay entitled Hooker and the New, New Puritans. Hooker and the New Puritans. According to Tanner, Hooker can be a helpful resource in terms of contemporary debates over issues such as same-sex marriage. Because for Tanner, the new Puritans are those Christians today who engage in biblical interpretation without taking seriously the use of reason. 
As I mentioned earlier, what I love the most about the Anglican tradition is not having to check your mind at the door. Like our Protestant siblings, we Anglicans love the Bible, right? We love the Bible. That's why we engage in it. And like our Roman Catholic siblings, we Anglicans love church tradition. We're going to say the Nicene Creed after this, right? But we are able to avoid the extremes of scriptural fundamentalism on the one hand and infallible papal authority on the other because of the gift of reason. Faith, faith, as we heard in today's readings, must be the starting point of what it means to be a Christian. But faith should not be the last word. We study theology because we have faith and because we want to learn more about that faith. And it is through the God-given gift of reason that we are able to do this. Anglicans take reason very seriously. And that, for me, is what is so special about Anglican Heritage Sunday. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.